Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 162, I believe. I uh, wanted to say thank you to everybody for listening in on last week's episode about The Revenant, and thank you to Robert for being a part of it. So uh, before we jump into today's episode about Neil Blomkamp's Chappie, uh, I wanted to direct everybody's attention to the More Than One Lesson website, where there are a couple of new written reviews. Uh, Josh has written a review of The Lobster, which is a movie that I absolutely love, and uh, you can read about Josh's thoughts there. And then uh, Reed has written a review of a lesser known, by lesser known I mean completely unknown, uh, horror movie or a suspense movie? I would, I would categorize it as suspense. A suspense film called Flipped. Uh, it was known, it, sorry, it wasn't known, but for a while it had another title, yeah. uh, the name of which was what? I don't recall. Blood Rush. Blood Rush. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, but yeah, by all accounts, uh, Flipped is a uh, pretty good, Yeah, but, uh, but you can read all about that at uh, more than one lesson.com. Now then, uh, we are going to be talking about Chappie, a movie that no one cares about uh, <laughs> and that no one was clamoring to hear my thoughts on. And we'll, I'll explain why we're talking about it in a moment. But first, I'm going to welcome in my co-host, Reed Lackey. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. I think that's my standard answer. That and is pretty much it. Same yeah. tone of voice, just... Everything. Everything's doing all right. Well, pretty not, soon they're going to cue into the fact that I'm not a real person, that I'm actually just pre-recorded, oh, patched together That'd be great. Snippets. No, you're all too human, what with your love of big gulps. So that's everybody, true. I took a photo of Reed... <laughs> Uh, taking a sip from his comically large uh, Big Gulp. Now, what is the drink in there? It is a uh, it's a combination. It's actually Mountain Dew with a splash of some cherry syrup in there. So oh, cherry syrup. So oh. it's my own uh, my own blend of cherry Mountain Dew. Is Your own concoction. Is. I see. Yeah, I see. Yeah. And it's okay. delicious. Yes. And uh, and if you know what Reed looks like, he's you know kind of a, a little guy, a skinny mm -hmm. guy, and just to see him holding this thing that's like a significant percentage of his body weight, I yeah, would say, yeah. is uh, just delightful. <laughs> so I took a photo and I will share it on Facebook because we need to connect with our listeners. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, so we will be talking about Neil Blomkamp's Chappie. Now, there's a number of reasons for this. One is that uh, on the list of movies to talk that, that you and I were going to talk about, yeah. this is the one that is probably freshest in my mind and that I could record about without a great deal of preparation just because um, it's it's not a film that necessarily fades from your mind for good or ill. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so, yeah, it's not a movie that people that is beloved. I don't love it. We're going to be saying a lot yeah. of fairly negative things today because every once in a while, like when we talk about The Blind Side, when we talk about... Uh, crash every once in a while we gotta we gotta be negative on this show we have to review a movie that we know we do not care for yeah but it's not just uh this isn't just an opportunity to blow off steam uh the reason that we picked chappie or that i picked chappie and then forced reed to watch it <laughs> was that uh it is exploring some interesting things now it might it explores them in a really haphazard way, casting a very wide net to the, such an extent that it's hard to know exactly where it lands. Yeah, but it is exploring some things that I think are very sci-fi, and it does so in a way that I found interesting, uh, even if not totally satisfying. So, um, so that's you know, and for those that don't know, uh, 
once again, direct, written written and directed by Neil Blomkamp, who made District 9 and yeah. Elysium. Uh, District 9 is what bu- has bought him years of credibility, it would appear. Yeah. A lot of people, including me, did not like Elysium except for one scene. In fact, I believe I, I put Elysium as my least favorite movie of that year. Um, and uh, and now we have now we have uh, Chappie, which was did not uh, did not do super great with critics. I don't know what it how it did as far as box office, but it is about a, uh, a not too distant future where there are uh, police robots, but they are you know controlled. They don't uh, they don't think on their own. And then through uh, a crazy. Uh, a crazy inventor played by Dev Patel manages to uh, craft some uh, artificial intelligence and he puts it in one of the robots and then that robot becomes Chappie, who then has to try and figure out what it means to be conscious, what it means to be alive. Um, yes, I recognize that it sounds like I just talked about Short Circuit. Uh, <laughs> did you watch Short Circuit when you were a kid? Oh, yeah, I loved yeah, it. Absolutely. Johnny, Johnny five. five. No question about it. Uh, he's alive. He is alive, um, and he can read books really fast. He sure can. Oh, it's delightful. Um, and then, uh, and I saw Short Circuit too. Did you see that one? Yeah. And my favorite part about Short Circuit too is when uh, he's uh, feeding him the information on the on the Fisher Stevens is having yeah. the date. input. input. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. And then he looks up and sees, and the billboard starts going haywire, and he says to his date, "It takes a tough man to cook a tender chicken." <laughs> Because that's the next part that flashes up on the uh, billboard yes, because Johnny right. Five has lost the Ah, uh, yes, connection. It's, a, it's a Cyrano de Bergerac kind of yes, thing. Got basically. it. He's, that's right, yes. And Fisher Stevens doing a probably not super uh, nice accent that you mm-hmm. decided to approximate. So, sorry, everybody. Yeah, for, my if apologies. You offended. I should have given a trigger warning before we started talking about short circuit. Um, yeah, don't use the for Fisher num- Stevens accent. For a number of reasons. Yeah. I feel like short circuit probably does not hold up. I don't know. Hard to say. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but this is a good excuse. <laughs> sure. And I know you're always looking for an excuse to watch short circuit. <laughs> I'm always looking for an excuse to watch anything. Fair enough. That's right. <laughs> I guess when you have a kid, it's just like, hey, uh, sorry, honey, I have to watch short circuit. Gotta see this. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that is what Chappie is about. Uh, I don't exactly remember why I saw it. It didn't look remarkably good to me. Uh, I think Josh actually had to see it because he was going to be talking about it on another podcast. I think Real World Theology. Oh, and uh, and so I went with him, and uh, we were able to talk about it afterwards, and and that sort of thing. But uh, so I didn't have a lot of expectations, go- a lot of high expectations going in, and uh, the film you know, in the broadest possible strokes, the film wound up being, you know, living up or one could say living down to my expectations. But there are a couple things in there that I do like uh, quite a bit, actually. But we'll talk about those in a moment. Uh, So speaking broadly, what is your what is your connection to Neil Blomkamp? Uh, What were your expectations of Chappie? Because you just watched it within the last week. Yeah, I actually just saw it last night. You just watched it last night. It's yeah. fresh in your brain. Fresh in my brain. So your 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 thoughts going into Chappie and then general thoughts about Chappie. Well, I think I'm still trying to get on board. Uh, the, the phrase that I use when I talk about this is, I'm not sure that I speak Neil Blomkamp's language because I did like District 9 a lot. Mm-hmm. But when I went into District 9, so many people had praised it by that point. I was expecting to be blown away and I wasn't. I did, I did like it a lot. I'm not saying yeah. I didn't like it. Um, so he has always been someone who 
has been a little underwhelming for me. So when I went into Chappie, I was I was kind of just, oh, let me let me see what's here. Maybe I'll like it more than I was expecting to. Um, I wound up liking it about what I expected, yeah. um, which is similar to what you've expressed, that there were some good ideas, some uh, decent subjects that it was exploring, but not something that I felt like landed in any sort of substantive way yeah. for me. I feel like he makes choices for his characters that are a bit all over the map, and they wind up feeling to me a bit two-dimensional. So um, I don't know if it is that he starts with a really great idea and then is just a bit uncertain for me again how to land it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I have to. I feel the need because he is such a sort of beloved director, which still surprises me because three films in, only one of which is rather highly praised. Yeah. Um, but, um, so I feel the need to hedge my comments a little bit, but for me, he, uh, I don't know. His just, his characters don't resonate with me very strongly. Uh, the general, uh, choices that they make feel sporadic yeah. and, um, they feel like they don't have strong, consistent motivation. Um, so it's, it's tough for me to really get on board with what, he's talking about because I feel like he's got some great ideas and I don't get that, but this is odd. I don't get a sense of pretension from his movies where he thinks he's superior to all of this and that right. he really knows what's going on. I genuinely get the sense from his films that he's exploring these ideas, yes. that it's not something where he feels the films don't ever really feel preachy to me. They don't ever really feel like they're, um, uh, sort of driving home a specific particular point. Um, but at the same time, they don't feel terribly focused. They feel, yeah. they feel a bit all over the map tonally. And I feel like there's some opportunities, particularly in Chappie, but I feel like in everything that I've seen by him that, that there's missed opportunities to capitalize on stronger thematic resonance that yeah. I can't quite put my finger on why, it doesn't really gel with me, but I think it just that I know I don't speak his language. Yeah, I do think that because I did enjoy District 9 uh, quite a bit. It's not perfect. I definitely think, uh, as I've said over at Battleship Pretension, I think that third act uh, or at least the final action sequence just starts to turn into a video game mm. uh, that is bothersome to me. But up until then, I think I think the reason that that is his best film, aside from it just simply being better, is that um, he's more focused. Uh, we have a lead character, and it's and it and it's a, an odd lead character. It's not a soldier; it's right. a bureaucrat. Yeah, a guy who is completely on board with the way his country is running, and mm -hmm. he has to sell it, and he has to do so in a way that is actually shows a certain degree of callousness, but also a certain degree of uh, naivete and uh, a certain uh, obliviousness. Um, played wonderfully by Charlotte Copley. Mm -hmm. And then over time, uh, because of, of his circumstances and what happens to him, he is forced to think outside of what he's always been told. And so the idea of, of people uh, relating to, to others that are not at all like them, you know, I think it's worth noting that the, uh, that the prawns in, uh, in, district nine, they, they don't, they're not exactly cuddly. Like they might have these big right. eyes, but they still look like Jeff Goldblum at the end of the fly, <laughs> you Ooh. know? And so, uh, they're, they're not inherently, uh, a, you know, they're not ET or anything like that. And right. so 
they're difficult to uh, to connect with. But uh, that's what the film is about. It's like, yeah, well, they're still, in this case, they're not necessarily people, but they're living beings <laughs> that, uh, that still have emotions and still have relationships and that kind of thing. And so I feel like it had a very specific message, one that is understandable. And once again, one that is focused. So I think narratively and thematically, I think it's a very focused film where, and then after that, I think he just got a little bit more ambitious, which is not a bad instinct, but I think in doing so, I think he loses the thread of what made that first film so good. Hmm. Um, not a lot, not a lot of really dynamic characters, not a lot of really interesting character arcs. And then I think Elysium is incredibly preachy. Um, Hmm. And does it end, but it's also dumb. I can live with preachy if it's smart and I can live with dumb as long as it's not preachy. But if you get dumb and preachy in there, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in, in favor of it. So, um, so yeah, going into Chappie, I really wasn't uh, expecting much, but so we'll talk about in the same way that we seeing as how we're going to wind up speaking overall negatively about mm-hmm. this film. Uh, I'll, I'll approach it the way I, we approach a Christian film, which is we'll talk about what we like first. Yeah. And what I like first and foremost, and this is going to sound almost like a backhanded compliment in 2016, but for me, it is not. Uh, The world that he creates is complete. And a lot of that is done through visual effects, Mm -hmm. but there are visual effects that don't necessarily announce themselves as visual effects. It takes me a while to even realize, oh yeah, Chappie's probably not in the same physical space as the actors. Right. Chappie is a visual effect. Mm-hmm. And there might, maybe there's some, uh, motion capture stuff, who knows, but you know, at this point, if I watch, uh, uh, a special effects extravaganza as great as it can look, there's always just a little, there's usually just like a little, uh, the motion blur doesn't seem quite right. Or it's like, uh, oh, the edge of that looks a little bit soft. Whereas, uh, the other characters in it, it looks a little bit sharper. Uh, and it just, but then I just have to put it out of my mind and just kind of go with the emotions of the scene and that kind of thing. And that's fine. I have to literally suspend my disbelief at that point. Uh, with Chappie though, I, I never really had to do that. And it's sort of, and it's the same with, with the prawns, like Neil Blomkamp for like, for all of his storytelling issues, he is a, he's really great at making invisible visual effects Hmm. and crafting entire characters from that. You know, I mean, we talk about a character like Gollum as being like a full fledged character. That's a visual effect. Well, so are the prawns and the main character in, uh, in district nine and then Chappie himself, regardless of what I might think of the character himself. Like he is a, I was going to say living, breathing person, but literally none of that is true. Uh, he has, that's the way he feels. Yeah. He has a personality. He's right there. I absolutely believe that he is interacting with the actors mm-hmm. and that they are looking at a robot. I believe he exists a hundred percent. If someone had told me like, Hey, this is actually an animatronic, like a really complex animatronic. I'd be like, Oh, okay. I believe that based on just what I'm seeing. And so his ability to create a world and his ability to blend visual effects into that world, it's no small thing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, you know, I, I forget if it's been put on hold or if it's, if it was ever really going to happen, but there was talk of him directing an alien film Interesting. and, uh, hmm. and I would have liked to see that Yeah. because I think he, you know, the alien series is all about creating a world and working with him visual effects and that's what he's good at. And also, you know, it's all, it is often about really preachy sci-fi and that's what he's good at <laughs> or rather that's what he does. Yeah. Um, 
And so, uh, yeah, that's probably the big thing that I have to say about Chappie. And again, it sounds, it almost sounds like I'm like, I'm, you know, grasping at straws here, trying to find anything positive. But for me, this is a big thing. Um, being able to craft and sell a world with completely the idea of you, like you said that he's, he doesn't seem pretentious and in, and that's, that has to do with storytelling. And I agree. I think he's earnest. One could say he's a little bit too earnest, but he's completely on board with what he's doing. He's not standing above us. He's not standing above the characters he's invested. And in that same way, he, I don't think he crafts, uh, I don't think he crafts special effects as a way of saying, look at me, look what I can do. Right. No, or just, isn't this amazing? He just crafts, he uses it as a way to tell a story as opposed to an end in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And that is admirable. I feel like he definitely has good movies in him. Uh, Chappie probably could have been good. Elysium definitely could have been good. Um, but I think he just needs maybe a bit more narrative discipline. One could say, uh, I would agree with that. And then I do think that there, there's some good performances in, in Chappie. I think Dev Patel does a really good job. Um, I really enjoy, uh, I'm not sure if I'd say I, I like Charlotte Copley. His performance is very good, but it's of a character I find annoying. Okay. But I don't necessarily blame him. Uh, and when you think of what Chappie is required to do, which is be a complete blank slate who's just learning as he goes and has to seem childlike, but not necessarily be that 100%. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of a fine line, the Chappie character. And I think yeah. Charlotte Copley does a really good job with that. Um, you know, I think he's a good, I think his performance is a good reason as to why district nine worked as well as it did and Mm -hmm. why people liked it as much. I definitely agree with that. Um, but yeah, so that, that kind of might be it as far as, as far as, uh, and I guess I do. I like his ambition. I like his instinct to be more ambitious and to incorporate more characters into the story and to kind of zig where people would think, you know, you should zag, Hmm. you know, the incorporation of the characters, uh, Ninja and Yolandi from, uh, the Antwoord, um, which is this, uh, I guess they're, uh, like a rap, uh, group or something. I don't actually know. I feel bad about that, but not, I don't feel that bad about it. Um, but his, his, his decision to incorporate these two, people to play themselves, but not really themselves play like these horrible criminal versions of themselves. That's odd. And I like any director that's willing to think outside the box. Uh, again, whether I think it is pulled off well or not is not the issue. I will always respect ambition to cold calculation. Yeah. Um, and these, this movie does not seem like cold calculation, not nor does, uh, Elysium. Like he's making the movies he wants to make. And it would appear that in many cases, the studio gets out of the way. I mean, definitely when you're casting Ninja and Yolandi the, in yeah. these parts, mm-hmm. like that's a studio that's just going to let you do whatever you want. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So there there are things within Chappie and things about Neil Blomkamp that I like a lot and that I really respect and admire, even if for two movies now it has not added up to much. Yeah. So that is what I like about the film. Let's go positive with you. If there is anything positive. (laughs) Oh, well, I would definitely resonate with what you said about Chappie feeling real. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's difficult not to talk about that character as if it were a flesh and blood human being. I was even going to say the, the, the sequences where, you know, things get kind of dark for him. They leave Mm -hmm. him abandoned. The kids start throwing things at him, set him on fire, things like that. Like I experienced some genuine emotion there for, for again, a a thing that has been crafted uh, in the same way that, you know, the, the, the really great 
renditions of like King Kong or things like that make yeah. you make you feel an emotional connection for something that is a complete fabrication. Um, that I think Chappie achieves that. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that is in the vocal performance, but a lot of it is in the way they, and I, I honestly don't know if it was motion capture or not, but the way his body moves, like yeah. you can, you can, whether it was motion capture or not, they still did a good job of making this robotic thing that is made yeah. of titanium seem very vulnerable. And yeah. for me to feel connected to his vulnerability in those moments. And that, that was no small thing. Um, I also, to a degree was on board with, uh, with the character being okay in the end. Like I, like I really wanted everything to work out well for this character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so that I think just in general, uh, there was a lot of goodwill from me going mm-hmm. into the film. And that was, so that was not based on my hopes or expectations from it, that the film generated those in me. So I wanted things to work out well for these characters. And I felt a genuine connection specifically with the, with the Chappie character. Um, more positives. I would, uh, yeah, I, I, I in general liked, um, I liked Charlotte, Charlotte Copley. Am I saying it right? Um, I liked his vocal performance in general. I laughed, quite a bit okay um just uh i didn't find it as much annoying as i did amusing um not quite endearing but amusing sure um so uh so it was it was it was fun and it was uh it was interesting to see (laughs) some of the some of the things that they would give him to do and then he would take it in a completely other direction I, i did find that genuinely comical and chuckled quite a bit um i feel like uh I might be edging into some negative territory with this, but I feel like there were so many resonances of specifically RoboCop and we already mentioned Short Circuit. Sure. Uh, visually and narratively, there were call-outs to it that I can't quite call homage because of how closely related they were to it. Um, yeah, the fact that they just imported the ED-209. Yes, exactly. Is astonishing. And just called it the moose. Yeah. But no, that's, that's the ED-209. That's yeah. what it is. Um, so yeah, it was so beholden to two films that I love, mm-hmm. um, that I think that boosted a little bit of goodwill for me, but I definitely think we probably couldn't praise the visuals enough. Nothing really, nothing really felt that contrived visually. You know, and you actually, uh, you mentioned something that I feel like I, I'd like to follow up on, which is the movement of Chappie feels organic, but not too organic. I can, st- I feel like. At every moment, I feel like if I could reach out, like I can reach out and touch that thing and I will feel metal. Mm-hmm. And if I were to open it up, I would see circuitry yes. and I would see like the, the, the ways in which it is designed to move, you know, um, it does, it, it is a human, it is a human robot essentially. Yeah. Um, and I, and I feel like, uh, again, like there's a tightrope element to that. If you go too far in any direction, if you make it too robotic it's like, okay, I can't really relate to this thing, but if you make it too, uh, human, mm-hmm. uh, then it's like, okay, well, I don't believe that this is a robot anymore. Like it needs right. to be both. Um, and I will say that, uh, another thing, and this is a, in a, there's a very very broad, uh, positive that, uh, I think the film definitely does. And this might take us into a theme, which we don't want to go into just yet. But, um, I do think that the film, uh, has its, has its sci-fi bona fides, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that it's, you know, it, it pays homage to 
the great science fiction film Short Circuit. <laughs> Putting that to the side, it does pay direct homage to uh, RoboCop, which yeah. to me is one of the best sci-fi movies ever made, yeah, which I recognize definitely. it's weird to say that about RoboCop, but RoboCop's amazing. I wrote a paper about it in college, and I think it's uh, astounding. I think people think of it as just a, a stereotypical 80s action film, but yeah. it it's so much more. There's Robo nothing stereotypical about that movie. Robo RoboCop is... It, I, I would qualify it as a, as almost an important film um, yeah. in, in many ways, um, resonated very strongly with me when I was younger. And yeah, it, there's a lot of praise. We could go off on yes. many rabbit trails about RoboCop. And it is deeply uh, disturbing at times. Very much so. That toxic waste guy. Oh, Ew, yeah. yeah. It just gets me. Um, so, uh, yeah, but that, so not merely in, in what it's paying homage to, but the, the, I feel like there's so many qualifiers in talking about this film because what I'll say is whether the film actually succeeds in fully exploring what it is choosing to explore or not, putting that to the side, the questions that it's asking are good science fiction questions. Agreed. What is consciousness? And I mean hard sci-fi. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the ultimate execution of the film might not be hard sci-fi, but what it's exploring, what is consciousness What's the difference between human and, you know, robot, uh, is, you know, is technology the next step of evolution, mm -hmm. stuff like that. This is all very, very standard science fiction stuff. And, yeah. and while I think that he doesn't put a, a great deal of thought into like sketching out these things, um, and maybe, you know, the word explore, I think can give somebody something of a free pass, uh, and, and maybe rightfully so, like, I, somebody, I want to explore something, but that doesn't mean I'm going to come to a conclusion. That's fine. I'm totally okay with that. Right. Um, as long as you're willing to explore it in a way that is, um, that at least seems somewhat pointed. Like I definitely want an answer to this question, or I want to see the different answers there are, as opposed to, I think some people feel like, well, I'm asking the question. Isn't, isn't that kind of enough? Hmm. And I feel like the answer is no. I'm okay with you coming to no conclusion. I'm okay with you coming to a, a conclusion I disagree with. Um, as long as you're heading down that rabbit hole, as long as you're, you're heading down that path. But I feel like in this, in a movie like this, I feel like Neil Blomkamp for the most part is just so scattered and just trying to do so many different things that I think he actually winds up never had heading down any particular path. And he's just content to ask questions, which is still fine. It's still admirable, but the next step is this thing is is really trying to get a get a, a handle on things and which I, is why i think the f the focus of district nine is what is was what is needed in this film you know i think maybe there are too many uh characters and too many different directions for chappie to go down which i understand why he did it but all it my all it manages to do for me is just meander um hmm meander in a very aggressive way because of the way the film is made, but it still, it still just feels like it, like it lacks direction. Yeah. And it doesn't really bring, you talk about it's sci-fi bona fides, which I definitely wouldn't disagree with, but it also doesn't bring really anything new to the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the, the difficulty here is there's this in, in the general premise of the movie, there's nothing we haven't seen before. Yeah. Uh, explored 
I mean, even as early as, and this is not sci-fi, but I mean, even Mary Shelley's Frankenstein talks about this, you know, creature and creation and sentience or, you know, uh, is, is it alive? Does it have a soul? All these kinds of questions. They're very old questions and yeah, we can ask it in a variety of different ways, but I do feel like to a degree, and I'm probably going to come off like a hypocrite here because I've often said that. It doesn't matter if you're asking the same questions that have already been asked or if you're even coming to the same conclusions because you're the one coming to the conclusion. In other words, um, the same song can be sung by five different artists and you're going to feel possibly something a little different with each of the five of them, even though they're singing the exact same song. We've heard it before. Um, So I might come off a little hypocritical with this next statement, but I really feel like Chappie doesn't really enhance the conversation in any substantive way. Right. I think it is, as you said, it's asking the right questions, and I think it's it's doing so in such a way that feels very familiar and comfortable in the sci-fi arena, but I didn't see anything new, um, either in its characters or its narrative, that, that has not already been explored at uh, great length and often in more interesting ways in earlier films or earlier, I, I'm, I'm not going to compare with books. I'm not going to hold it to that. But in earlier films, I've definitely seen some of these same things explored and uh, Chappie just didn't, didn't ever really land in a place for me, except for which I won't talk about in specifics, but um, not right now. Uh, the ending, mm-hmm. maybe it could be argued there's there's a some enhancement to the conversation about that ending. Yeah, but, I think so. But uh, but that's really that's really it. You know, it's it reminds me of uh, you know the it's it's overused this quote, but I feel like it it works really well. Uh, in the end, it does sort of feel like there's a lot of sound and fury <laughs> signifying nothing. Like yeah, you go through a lot, and and it does seem to kind of take you on something of an emotional roller coaster ride with like the switching of conscience, uh, consciousness and stuff like that, and. And people dying and then, no, wait, no, they're not dead and stuff like that. And you're just right. kind of going this way and that way. And then at the end, you're like, whoa, boy, oh boy, there's a lot going on there. I don't think anybody said anything. <laughs> I don't think any statements have actually been made. Yeah. Like that was a long way to go to arrive nowhere. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's, that's where the problem is, mm-hmm. you know, um, even, you know what? I'll even take, I don't know as an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get to the, you know, if you get to the end and, and the filmmaker himself is just like, this is, you know, this is too big for me and I don't know. And maybe it can't be known. That's still a conclusion, yeah. but it just feels like, it feels like it, it just loses the the trail and it just kind of fades away. You yeah. Know? And, uh, and that is what is frustrating about Chappie because these are themes I like. These yeah. are Blade Runner themes. These are Definitely. AI. These are that kind of thing. And so, um, both, you know, AI, the AI artificial intelligence, the Spielberg film, and then Blade Runner and RoboCop and stuff, they deal with these and they deal with them in a much more concrete way. Mm-hmm. And one that I find narratively satisfying and thematically satisfying. Right. Um, so I guess we're going to go, I guess we are now in the middle of, uh, of negatives. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to harp too much on it because you can talk about a lot, uh, yeah. here. Um, I will say that, uh, almost in the, in, in this case, I feel like uh, a lot of the negative storytelling comes about as a function of poorly conceived characters. I agree. Um, So I feel like if he had simply tried to develop these characters more, that might have actually fixed some of the story beats. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but perhaps he was trying to lead th- with thematics, like the idea of, okay, well, we've got this robot who's very impressionable. Uh, what if he were to fall into the wrong hands? Uh, but like into the hands of criminals, but maybe not like the worst criminals. Maybe it's somebody else. Right. Uh, and so they start to, you know, like, uh, like if your son starts hanging out with a bad crowd, they're not awful, but they're, they're a bad influence. They're smoking mm-hmm. cigarettes. They're not robbing convenience stores, but they're smoking, they're smoking <laughs> cigarettes, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so that you, you're getting, so that Chappie is, is getting one one set of rules from his creator and another set of rules from his influencer and stuff like that. It's like, all right, thematically, I get that. That's, that's fine. Here's the thing. So I, I think he's leading with the, the, the theme. And so he has to, he has to craft characters that will seem definitely violent, definitely criminal, uh, but maybe a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit lovable, maybe just like, ah, they're kind of scamps. What, you know, they, they do what they have to do. You know, it's, it's understandable. Uh, and so this is where we come to Ninja Yolandi and America Mm -hmm. who are just these very low level criminals and they, uh, Yolandi's okay. I don't mind her. She's not bad. She's She's my favorite of the trio. She's kind of this loving mother type. Mm -hmm. Um, America doesn't really register with me that much. Uh, I think he's fine. I don't dislike him. Completely plastic character, though. Yeah, they 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 don't they don't even really add a shade of nuance to anything he says or does in the film. Yeah, he just shows up to deliver information and then back out and eventually die. Yes, um, and that's that's the other big thing is it's just like, well, we need someone to die and stay dead for stakes. Hey, there's yeah. this America guy. See, and that speaks to what I was talking about, which is. Okay, so we're going to have that that's leading with, I guess, plot, but also theme, which is we want people to die and then come and then live again. But for that to be a big deal, we need to see death that in which that doesn't happen. Right. And we need that to happen to a character that we are theoretically on board with. Well, we don't want it to happen to Ninja. We don't have like and we want Yolandi to come back. So I guess we'll write in this other guy. And if that's the only purpose he's going to serve as a narrative and thematic purpose, he's not going to be that interesting. Yeah. Um, in my notes, I forgot to even write him down. That should yeah. tell you something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I'm but yeah, Yolandi is actually a very interesting character and one that I think, uh, uh, you know, bears some level of discussion and that she's, she's motherly and she just, she's still kind of a jerk. She's still kind of a scumbag. Uh, but she, there's an element to her that suggests that like, I'm in this life. These are choices I've made, but I am striving for something bigger in my own personal life. And maybe I gave up on it, but that doesn't mean it's not there. This yeah. desire for connection, this desire to do good, and that kind of thing. So, uh, there's more to her character than 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 her just being a bad person. I would say she's, I'd say she's fairly three dimensional. Yeah, and and if I were to say that about any of the characters, I would say I would say that about her and about Chappie himself. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, she's definitely the most endearing, and it yeah. is it is her idea yeah. to kidnap the developer in the first place. Yeah, um, and then when she when she understands and is the first of that trio to understand what's happening with Chappie, she's immediately assumes that motherly role, which makes her more endearing to us because she's trying to protect him from Ninja, who yeah. sees him purely as a device, yeah. purely as a means to an end. Um, but she almost immediately sees him as something more. 
Um, and, and that's why, uh, again, we're just going to be spoiling everything about this film, but, um, that's, that's why when she, when she goes down, um, it's, it means a great deal more. Yeah. And I found myself, um, uh, for reasons that I'm sure we'll talk about when we talk about the ending in more detail, I found myself sort of shortchanged emotionally yeah. by what they did with her. Yeah, be- I agree. Because I feel like. When, when, when we lost her, I, I, I really felt that. Yeah. And, um, and then it did not, the, the direction that the, that the story chose to go, uh, undermined some of that emotional resonance that I had when, yeah. when she died. Cause one of the things that the film seems to be talking about, and as you said, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but is the idea of like, well, what is life? What does human life mm-hmm. mean? Well, sometimes it means loss. Yes. Which is to say, sometimes it means that some things are out of your control and there's nothing more out of your control than life and death. Mm-hmm. Than like the biggest things that you just like, I don't have any, con- I don't, I cannot stop this from happening. Well, in the world of Chappie, you can. And so aside from poor America, wait, who, uh, aside from him, <laughs> you know, everybody's fine. You yeah. don't have to sacrifice anything. And I feel like, well, now that's. Now you're making a different argument. You're not exploring what life is. You're exploring what you want life to be, mm-hmm. which that's fine if that's what you want to do. But uh, to pivot to that so late in the film, I think it's frustrating. Uh, so which brings us to the character of Ninja. Now, you're if, if I'm going to, you know, I said earlier on that because we don't really like this movie that much that I'm going to try to avoid being overtly negative. Here's what I'm actually doing. I'm saving it all up for the character of Ninja. <laughs> uh, I hate this character with such unbridled fiery passion. I yes. wanted him dead within two seconds. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's the only one that isn't by the end of the film, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that he's the only one, uh, quote unquote human. Um, mm-hmm. I felt like the director was trying to hurt me uh, somehow. Uh, Ninja it's, and you know what? I, part of me, I, I, I wonder if the director sees him as a bad person. Uh, I think he probably does. I think so. Uh, and so if that's the case, hats off to the director for being willing to have a main character who is as deeply flawed as Ninja hmm. and and keep him around and and have him learn lessons that are admittedly very he – doesn't he learns them slowly and probably not completely, but he does have something of an arc. I won't say he's full-on full three-dimensional, but um, – so I respect the director for doing that, but there needs to be a seed of likability in the character, yeah. and there isn't one. I hated him so much. I cannot recall a more loathsome character. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely wholeheartedly agree with you. Every motiv- the, the motivations, when, when I even infused some, felt so all over the map. It felt like yeah. one minute... He was very focused on trying to obtain this heist, and Chappie was a means to an end. And then the next moment, it feels like he's sometimes literally shooting every bit of his plan in the foot and and undermining his own causes. And it just felt like the character was uh, completely directionless with how he wanted to go about accomplishing his goals, which, by the way, I couldn't really ascertain what his goals were other than let's get the money and get these people off our backs. Yeah. Other than that, I couldn't. I couldn't tell why he did anything that he wanted to do. I will say this: the be- I don't think the filmmaker is actually trying to do this, but this actually helped me quite a bit. Like if I'm imagining Ninja Yolandi and um, and Chappie with, I guess, America in there somewhere. If I'm imagining them as sort of like a new uh, a nuclear family, okay. 
Ninja is not merely the father. He's an alcoholic father. Yes. He's unstable. There are moments when he will be incredibly affectionate Mm -hmm. towards Chappie and other times when he just cannot be bothered with him and because he's got his own thing to do. He's selfish. He's self-absorbed. And yeah, he's maybe theoretically doing things for the people around him that he cares about, but that will be subservient to serving himself. So if I'm looking at it that way, it's like, okay, that actually works a little bit better. However, I still don't like him and I want nothing good for him. I want him to get, I want the people that he owes money to, to catch him and kill him in like a bone tomahawk style. Like, and if you've seen bone tomahawk, you know what I mean? Yeah. There are a lot of deaths in that movie, but you know, the one I'm talking about. (laughs) There's one. And that's what I want. That's what I want to happen to Ninja Mm -hmm. for so many reasons. Um, and it's part of me things like, well, is, is it the actor? Is he doing some bad stuff? It's a committed performance completely, but it's one that is also rooted in, I think who he is a little bit as a, cause it, Ninja is played by Ninja. Yolanda is played by Yolanda. Right, like, right. And they are, it's such an odd choice that they're these criminal characters, but they're basically the musicians. They're playing themselves. They're playing themselves, yeah. but not as themselves. It's right. very odd. But I'm sure that, uh, you know, Neil Blomkamp's uh, decision to do that is like, all right, he's probably going to base each of these characters a little bit in personality on the people playing them. Yeah. Uh, and if that's the case, then, uh, then I think maybe we should... I don't know, maybe the UN can get together and just uh, declare some kind of thing against Ninja and get him off the streets. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that the, the, the problem that I have as, as I'm sitting here listening to you talk is just that, that he has moment after moment where it feels like Blomkamp wants us to feel a certain way about Ninja. Yeah. Okay, so I'm thinking of two specific instances. First of all, when he flat out abandons Chappie to yeah. to this group of, of teenagers yeah. who um, a group of toughs, That's toughs. What I, yeah, 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 and they they rough Chappie up quite a bit yeah. and and scare him and drive him away, and then something far worse happens. He he falls into even worse hands and loses yeah. an arm and all this other sort of stuff. When Ninja reconnects with him, I feel like. Blomkamp wanted us to register in Ninja some remorse and some regret, but instead all we see him after that is trying to teach him how to be tougher or teach him better how to do the heist again and focusing more on, are you going to be this kind of dog or are you going to be this kind of dog, you know, like, and, and sort of digging that in. So it's almost like the film, what I get the, what I get the impression from was that the film wanted me to feel something that it wasn't able to deliver on that. It wanted me to feel that this character was going through these certain things. That was the first instance. The second instance is when his ultimate betrayal of Chappie, which is that he keeps convincing Chappie, I'm going to get you a new body when all he wants to do is obtain this money. Again, we're supposed to feel like he's regretful of this. The, the actor, like you said, it's a committed performance. So the actor is displaying a little bit of regret and a little bit of remorse but I just feel like the character is so self-absorbed and yeah. so selfish at that point that I don't, I don't feel any sympathy for him. And when Yolandi goes down, there's two characters that the film wants me to feel sorry for. Yeah, Chappie, who's lost his, his, his mother of yeah. sorts, and Ninja. Well, I definitely feel sorry for Chappie, but Ninja, I'm like, you're doing (laughs) like, like you caused all this. Like, it's like Ninja, the closest I'm going to get to sympathizing with you right now is if I were to say, oh, it should have been you. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's not the same. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, and so maybe the issue is that it's too committed a performance. Maybe that uh, maybe Ninja, the actor, and again, he's not much of an actor, but uh, which is to say like he's he's not a professional actor. Right, right, right. Maybe the actor ninja is playing each scene to the fullest, which is, which yeah. I appreciate, but you also have to recognize that, okay, well, this is a guy who's going to regret his actions later mm-hmm. in some capacity. So that means you might need to layer that on in earlier scenes that he has that ability, that there is yeah. a humanity within him that he is suppressing because he's had to, he's had to do so to live the life that he's living. But like Yolandi, he's actually he's actually a wounded person who's yeah. looking for some level of connection, but has been operating this way for so long. He doesn't really know how to do anything else. There, there is a way to write the ninja character. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think his failure isn't it is, the, the problem with the character is a failure of the writing and of the acting of just, it's like, you need to, I'm not saying like, again, I, I appreciate that they are committed to making this character not super likable, but if you're going to, at some point say you should like him a little bit, or at least sympathize with him, they need to do a slightly better job of making him sympathetic or at least, uh, sowing the seeds of sympathy in him that will then sprout later on. But I feel like they, yeah. they don't. Yeah. And I would even place some of that. You, you mentioned writing in the performance, but I would, I would actually place a lot of that on Blomkamp's lap, Blomkamp's lap because, sure, sure. because he, I say that because, you know, I mean, he's one of the writers, so I put, Oh yeah. So, okay. Well. So there you go. But, um, but th- I definitely think that he should have been more attentive to that performance in a broader spectrum. Maybe he was focused on different aspects of the film that we've already talked about that do succeed very well and and sort of left this to the side. But I feel like he should have been on the fact that this Ninja performance was all over the place. And I particularly... Don't blame Ninja for that because, as you said, like his his primary creative output is is uh, like in music, and yeah. he he does this other thing. So he's not an actor. Uh, it's it's something that the director is going to need to really focus in on that and say, okay, little less here, little more there. Yeah. Um, and if you need to get less than subtle, then then do it. But that's that's something the director needs to pull out of a yeah. of a quote unquote non actor if you're going to use them. I find myself wondering if Neil, if uh, Neil Blomkamp knows Ninja and Yolandi socially. And oh. as he's writing Chappie, he, th- he thinks, oh, you know who'd be interesting in these characters? I mean, he did name them Ninja and Yolandi. So sure. I'm going to say he had them in mind. Yeah. And I wonder if it's a situation where um, just he was not able to distance himself mm-hmm. enough to realize that Ninja is unlikable. Perhaps he saw him as a, as a lovable scamp who's occasionally, yes, a little mm. bit violent, but like maybe because he himself sympathizes with Ninja, the person, yeah. uh, maybe he thought, maybe he didn't have the proper perspective. That's, that's likely. Like, even as you're saying that, I'm, I think I'm going to kind of just adopt that theory because okay. I think that's, I think that's, uh, an astute point. Um, so uh, we we should uh, move on to to other things. Um, I do want to. I feel like to to talk about where the film kind of thematically goes off the rails. That's a conversation we should actually be having when we get into discussion of theme. Okay. So for me, the other now all of that is of course uh, frustrating for me. So I don't mean to imply that I'm done talking about the negative things. <laughs> uh, but what I will say is. Everything Hugh Jackman, 
Hmm. His performance is good. You know, Hugh Jackman is, I think, a very underrated actor. I agree with that. Um, I like him a lot. Yeah, I, he's my favorite part of The Prestige. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. Everybody comes away talking about Christian Bale. Was like Hugh Jackman's doing some really special oh, things absolutely. in that film, and he has—I mean—he has taken the character of Wolverine and made it one hundred percent his mm-hmm. own. Like, and it's—I just rewatched Days of Future Past. It has great work in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Hugh Jackman uh, is—I I do not blame him for this character. This is a—it's—I—I I just found it difficult not to swear. Hmm. This character is so poorly written, so two-dimensional. Yeah, terribly. Just, you know, you were talking about like Blomkamp maybe not getting too preachy. If he's preachy in this movie, it is with this character yeah. who is, who ever so subtly it is revealed this character might be a Christian. Yeah. Here's how I know that. Because at one point he uh, lectures somebody about going to his church. Mm-hmm. And then he perpetually calls Chappie uh, a godless freak. Yep. And then he then he says the word godless again. Uh, he just and it's just like oh come on. But he's also he, one could make the argument that he's kind of bigoted. You know, he's closed yeah. off to something he doesn't understand. He thinks that everything is dangerous, and so like I need to destroy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, you know, he's promoting himself. Tremendously, because if he destroys Chappie, if he does what he needs to do, then yes, he's destroying the godless freak. And also he gets uh, elevated within the company to, uh, oh, look at this thing that he, this program he's in charge of. You say, you know, you saved the company or whatever. Right. So everything about like, boy, did we, I don't think we needed this type of villain. No, and I honestly didn't think when I was going into the story that he was going to wind up being the villain. And yeah. maybe that maybe part of that was because of how little I liked the ninja character. Sure. But I was in here, I was thinking, honest honest to God, I was thinking that Hugh Jackman was going to wind up like getting on board with all yeah. of this and helping them and, and, and like sort of diverting from his from his other program, his moose and human driven program and like yeah. start coming on board with what Chappie was was and and uh, where that technology was going to go. So when the film consistently made him out to be just this ambitious uh, sort of one note villain, yeah. it uh, it just frustrated me entirely. He's the one who commits the most heinous act against Chappie, like like severs his arm yeah. while while Chappie <laughs> again props to the voice work by by Copley, but. Chappie's begging for yeah. this for this to not happen, and and Jackman holds him down, and and in just a an absolute. I mean, it's it's happening to a machine, yeah. But it's still a very vicious moment, and 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 Hugh Jackman, again, he's uh, as we've already said, he's a very underrated actor. He he also gives a very committed performance. He's just going to work with what he's got yeah. and try to make it believable and try to make it uh, substantial, but. I just felt like it was it was not a character that I could really I feel like with villains you have to understand their motivation. Yeah. I think just as much as the heroes of your story you have to know why a villain wants what he wants. Yeah. for it to really be effective. And I I just feel like Hugh Jackman um like so many of the other characters he just he just undermines his own goals. If he really wants to to undermine this this work, he would get in and not be so antagonistic towards Dion. He would try to understand this and maybe try to befriend it and then undercut it instead of 
being so abusive. Well, that's the thing. He's antagonistic. He's abusive. And, you know, look, I recognize that uh, what I'm about to say is that like, well, nobody's the villain in their own mind. Everybody's the lead of their own story. And, and people do things because they think it's the right thing to do. Maybe not morally, but it's just like, well, this is good for me. And no one else is going to look out for me. So I might as well look out for myself. That's the nature of the world. That's why I'm doing it. I'm the lead. And I'm justified in doing this. Uh, and so his character does seem to, you know, he's religious and it manifests itself in a weird way. But, uh, you know, and he thinks that, oh, well, this uh, this artificial intelligence thing, like it's against God, it's against nature. I'm going to destroy it. All right, fine. That That's a perfectly fine motivation. Or it's, well, I do not like this where this robot cop thing is going. Uh, and it's undermining my Ed 209 system <laughs> or what, Moose, pardon me, my Moose system. It's undermining that. So I'm going to find a way to destroy it so that I can get more power. Okay. That's a perfectly fine motivation. I don't necessarily think the two should be put together because they wind up muddling each other. Yeah. But if you're going to do that, that's fine. Where the character really falls apart for me is in how antagon antagonistic he is, how aggressive he is. There comes yeah. a moment when he, in the middle of an office, puts a gun to Dev Patel's head. Yeah. And then yeah. we're meant to, and then like in the most aggressive, terrifying way, and then acts as if like, hey, it's all a joke. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Now, look, I don't run a company, but if I did... And I saw that somebody was holding a gun, unloaded though it might have been, uh, someone was holding a gun to somebody else's head and screaming at them, look, just kidding can get somebody out of a lot of jams. <laughs> That's not one of them. If I'm the HR department, I'm like, this guy's a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get rid of him. Yeah. Uh, and it just, that's the thing is he's, it's not merely that he's aggressive. It's not merely that he's antagonistic. It's that he, the film just allows him to get away with it. Even when that is not at all feasible. Right. You know, not only do they allow him to get away with that stuff, but then like towards the end of the film, when he is, you know, using his ed 209 to go after Chappie, like he, he's doing it all alone. There's no supervision at all. No. Just the amount of control that they give him. And I recognize they're trying to keep it like on the, on the, on the DL, as they say, by they, I mean, children, hmm. um, 15 years ago, but I don't know. It just, uh, so much about that character is just a function of plot convenience, thematic convenience, more so than any other character. He's just, he is there. Everything about him is there because the director needs him to be a certain thing at a certain time. And if what the director needs him to be is left alone, then that's what yeah, he will be. Right. And I don't require that every film try to mimic reality, you know, uh, but you need to base certain things in reality so that we will believe the other things. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to try and make a movie about like the corporate mindset, then a company that will keep itself safe at all times, including like, hey, we have a lunatic uh, working for us. Uh, that's not going to be good for us one way or another. We'd rather not get sued. So let's get rid of him. You know, there's a way to make him, there's a way to make him, you know, pious. There's a way, way to make him ambitious mm -hmm. um, and have him be, you know, subtly sinister. Uh, and this is not it. Like, there's just nothing no. subtle about this character. It feels like he would have been punched in the face or murdered years before the movie started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If this is how he's been conducting his life. 
And, you know, it's nothing against Hugh Jackman. Like you said, he's doing everything he can, but that character is just a mess. Yeah. You know, as really negative is. as I was about Ninja, and I am, he's a deeply unlikable character. Perfect movie for me. Put these guys in a room together and just have them, you know, it's just like, all right, you guys, uh, one, one of you is walking out of here alive. You guys figure out who it yeah. is. <laughs> and then whoever walks out alive, you shoot them in the head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, you, it's like, hey, I didn't say how long you were going to be alive. Exactly. Um, Just a minute longer you know, than the other That's guy. a movie that I want to see. <laughs> uh, and hey, both characters are alive by the end of Chappie, so maybe in Chappie 2, they'll give me what I want. Sure. This is why I wish I were an eccentric billionaire. So I could just pay people to make Chappie 2, where these two characters just beat each other almost to death, and that's the movie. And then the victor just, just gets, gets shot in the head. Up. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. Uh and if you, if, when you're an eccentric billionaire, you can just keep giving them more millions of dollars. And then finally everyone in, involved is like, yeah, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> so, cause that's how artists are, in my opinion, apparently I'm very cynical today. I guess. Wow. Um, so, uh, and then I actually will, you know what? I, we haven't mentioned Dev Patel. Dev Patel is, I think also an underrated actor and I think mm-hmm. he does a good job. There's not, there should be more to his character in this. We don't really know what motivates him, but he's a, He's a decent actor and I'm on, and I like his character. Uh, I would like him to have a bit more agency in the film. I would like the movie to be a bit more about his relationship with Chappie. Yeah. Um, and you know, I feel like if you took out Ninja and Yolandi, I think you could do that. Yeah. Um, because that's one relationship that I found difficult to believe was hmm. Chappie's connection with, with Dion, because I'm like, he has not been other than giving Chappie consciousness he's not been terribly influential to him whatsoever yeah. not when you compare it to yolandi uh, yeah. and even when you compare it to ninja look at all of the things that he did i mean dion feels like he shows up uh you know every day at uh, at around the same time feels like he shows up and then his chappy has now been very influenced by other forces and yeah. he's frustrated by that so then Again, uh, getting to the ending, the the connection that they seem to feel just felt so odd to me. It felt yeah. like it wasn't earned because he's not been the primary influence for you for a long time. It's been it's been these other people, and so why are you going to this extent for for this other character who, yes, made you, gave you life, but there's but there's no emotional connection that I've seen play out in the film. Yeah, um, if if I were to, um, and I don't necessarily think this is what the director is doing, but if I were to uh, hypothesize that he is trying to say something about God here, okay, um, it's like, well, he's a creator, and we also we have a character that is overtly religious, and that has not uh, made him a good person. Mm-hmm. But we have the creator who gives life to this thing, seems to care about it to a point, but ultimately will show up, lecture him, and then leave. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and I'm, I'm sure that, and I know that there are some people who get angry at, at God at, because just like, well, he's not really doing anything for me. He's hmm. just telling me the way I need to live my life so that it makes him happy. Yeah, thanks, God. Right, um, right. And so, I don't know, I, I don't think it's necessarily that, but that, I, I feel like that's... Uh, I would not put that past Neil Blomkamp. I say that as a ne- as a negative thing, but like it's not unheard of in science fiction to contemplate the nature of God, uh, or at least the yeah. nature of the spiritual. Uh, even in science fiction, it's just the, one could let's just say the metaphysical. Hmm. Um, 
So, uh, but yeah, Dev Patel does does a good job as far as his performance, but the character just needs to be either needs. To, okay, so the character either needs to be more fully developed if Blomkamp actually wants us to see him as a full fledged character and invest in his relationship with Chappie. Or if you're trying to make a point like the one I'm talking about, I feel like you just need to, once again, I keep coming back to this word focus. If that's what you want this film to be about, then you need to have almost a laser-like focus on that theme and cut loose these extraneous things. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll, it's not so much that we'll get it a lot easier. It's that we won't be distracted right. by these other things that you just couldn't leave out. Mm-hmm. Um so, and I guess that will take us into uh, into the themes of of the film, uh, of which there are many and none. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, once again when you're pulled in all directions, you wind up actually get, no, not going anywhere. Um, and so, uh, you know, when ta- when thinking about this in terms of more than one lesson, uh, there are a lot of different options of what we could explore. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that uh, that you know, I was thinking about like, okay, well, maybe it's a movie about uh, the relationship between creator and creation. It's like, eh, it's not really about that. Yeah. It is a little bit because Chappie wonders, well, why did you create me? You know, uh, did you create me just to die? That makes no sense. Um, and I thought like, okay, well, maybe it's about that. Maybe it's about, uh, you know, uh, what what makes us human, you know, because Chappie's just as much human as, as anybody else, you know, and uh, and he's completely artificial. Um, so is what makes this human something more than just flesh and blood. And it's like, eh, other sci-fi movies have done that. And that seems like a half-baked idea. And so what I think I really wanted to zero in on, and this actually sort of informed my, uh, my choice of a companion film, uh, is this idea of Chappie wanting life. He is at his most frustrated with everybody, with the world, and yeah. certainly with his creator, he is at his most frustrated when he realizes, I'm going to die. You know, and in that way, that is a very human, that is a very human concern right. when, you, you know, the day when you realize, oh, I'm not going to be, you know, not only will I not be around forever, but the people I love, they're also not going to be around forever. And if it's right. going to be, you know, my parents, then they're going to be gone for quite a while until I'm gone, you know, right. and just... Right loss and and death and absence just the the acknowledgement of the more negative sides of of life and you know and having a johnny five character hmm. or you know uh, uh et or just these kind of naive characters being faced with the dark side of humanity like when chappie's just beaten up by all those thugs or he's yeah. he's gone after by uh hugh jackman and is and is saying like please don't do this please don't do this and just being faced with the inhumanity of the world, uh, you know that seems to be not primarily, but that's that's what I wanted to seize upon here is dealing with these negative things, ultimately ending in death and the question of why why does it have to end in death? Yeah. So, uh, the companion film is a movie that I know you love. Oh, yes, very much. And I myself, uh, I don't believe it's on my top 100 list anymore, but it was for quite a while. And Mm. frankly, it might go back on there. Um, I was looking at a list recently, and I don't remember who put out the list, but it was a respectable organization. And it was a list of the 100 best animated films of all time. Oh. Number one. This one? Was this one. Oh, And that is Pinocchio, 1940, uh, Walt Disney Company. Now, I would say who directed it and who wrote it, but it's like 20 people. 
Yeah. Because uh, that's how they, they did very things very much by committee back then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, my guess is listeners that you've already seen Pinocchio, but if you haven't seen it in a while, uh, go back and watch it. it. First off, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. Oh yeah. Um, but then there's other things, other little flourishes that I love, which is that, uh, the world of Pinocchio, even though everybody has very, uh, Italian names, um, he seems to live in like a Slavic world, but also with a little bit of Italy mixed in and mm-hmm. a little bit of, uh, French, like it's just kind of, you know, it's, it's a storybook world. So it just borrows from everything. Yeah. Particularly in Geppetto's house. Yes. Geppetto's house. I can't, I can't quite peg down. It's distinctly yeah. not. Not exclusively Italian. Yeah, it's yeah, and that's so. There are elements. There, there are clear visual choices being made by mm-hmm. the directors, by the animators that I love. That really mm-hmm. just help transport you, the viewer, into this other world. Um, but yeah, and then just the story of Pinocchio is not unlike the story of Chappie. Pinocchio is a much better film, obviously, oh, uh, told with a great deal more focus. Uh, to go back to that word. Um, but it's, you know, it's a puppet who, com- uh, a, a little wooden boy who comes to life, but he's not a full flesh and blood boy. He's just a living puppet at this point. And uh, it's just him learning what life is and learning about making uh, the right choice versus the wrong choice and often making the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, now you love this movie. Very much. So I'll let you talk a little bit about why you like it so much. Um, what, what's so great about this movie, Pinocchio? <laughs> um, well, I, I have to admit that it took me a while to come around to appreciating it at the level that I did. I've always, I've always enjoyed it, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't until the last probably nine or ten years that that I really came into recognizing like this is a significant film. Uh, and earlier to your point about you know direction by committee, I don't think. And I certainly mean no disrespect to them. I don't think it is a disrespect to the the people that worked at Walt Disney Studio to acknowledge the fact that those early films, Pinocchio, Peter Pan, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, were kind of technically directed by Walt Disney. Sure. Nothing, nothing was done that he did not sign off on, that he did not consult with like they were they were very much his babies um developing the story developing the script and everything but i think when it comes to pinocchio particularly we could talk for another and we won't listeners don't worry but uh we could talk for probably another two or three hours on the moral allegories the um different philosophical metaphors that this film explores and we'd probably never hit on the same thing yeah. for very long. There's so much about right, wrong, um, you know, sort of a, what Christians would know as a worst, a works-based theology. Like, if you're good, this will happen. If sure. you're bad, this will happen. But then there's also a significant amount of grace in it. Um, there's uh, imagery of the prodigal son. There's uh, imagery of, uh, like, whenever I heard as a child the story of Jonah and the whale, I saw Monstro, you know, like, like it, it has to it, uh, a sort of an, uh, an undertone of all of these things that children try to wrap their heads around about how am I going to be good and, and how am I going to, to be right in the world and the dangers that are there. Um, there's some, I mean, it, it, it's still horrifying to me, the fact that even though all things work out pretty well for Pinocchio, 
there's evidently a whole collection of just missing children somewhere that yeah. <laughs> that that went to Pleasure Island and and things did not go well for them. So it's not afraid to dive into some pretty horrific yeah. realities in in this fantasy fable um, animated metaphor. Um, so it's it's the richness to the themes that it's exploring, and as you've mentioned before, even here we have Chappie, which feels like it has really only one or two ideas that it's talking about, and feels very unfocused and disconnected. Pinocchio is a cornucopia of virtually every fruit you could name. Yeah. Yet it is all so seamlessly woven together. Yeah. And each individual moment, uh, each sort of five-minute segment of the film, you could parse out and talk about in those five minutes what is going on with different characters' motivations and and how they could represent a multitude of things almost simultaneously. And, I mean, it just goes to... Yeah, I'm glad you said that because that was a thing that I was going to, to mention, you know, that if listeners were... You know, if they were hearing what you were saying and just like, well, Reed's talking about like the the movie being this and this and this. How is that different than Chappie trying to do all these things at once? And it's just because like, first off, like it's a consistent tone and it's always Pinocchio and Jiminy. They're in a new situation that the circumstances might be so notably different than previous circumstances, but it still comes down to Pinocchio is being faced with a choice and he chooses the wrong one. Yeah. And it gets him into a scrape that he needs to get out of sometimes by his own accord. Sometimes, as you said, by grace, Mm -hmm. he's like, he does not deserve to get out of this circumstance. Right. He deserves to see it all the way down the line, but no, that is not how it works. And so, uh, so he, he gets freed from that and then finds himself in another situation. Mm -hmm. And so like, there's a, there's an episodic quality to it, but the constant is these two characters, uh, and I feel like that, uh, and, and every other character being, you know, something of an antagonist and they're as developed as they need to be, mm-hmm. you know? And so, um, and I think that's the thing is, you know, when I look at, uh, you know, honest John is the name honest John, honest John. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Here it says, uh, Jay Worthington Foulfellow, <laughs> otherwise known as uh, honest John, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, some of these actor names are, are, it's just so funny cause these are people that sadly, I know so little of their work outside well, of the context of Pinocchio. That is apparently the the character's name. The actor's name is Walter Catlett, who's awesome. Oh, okay. But to, no, Jay Worthington. It is, Jen and I were rewatching uh, Cinderella the other day, and we, just looking at the. You, you are correct. Uh-huh. Like just watching the opening credits, and it's just like there's a milt. There's a just. <laughs> it's like wow, we are miles away from na- our our kids' names, and it's like it'll circle back around. You know, there's going to be a, <laughs> you know, in a few years, our son uh, Milt Smith. Uh, you'll you'll be like, oh man, this guy's uh, old school. So, uh, but no. So with uh, with Honest John, you know, he is clearly a bad guy, a clear yeah. clearly a negative force in Pinocchio's life, and. There's no ambiguity there. He's fun to watch. I enjoy him, mm-hmm. but he's clearly a bad person. As opposed to Ninja and Yolandi. Now, that's the thing. I'm not like, I'm not advocating for, uh, you know, simplification or just simplicity overall. Um, but again, if we're talking about focus, having Ninja and Yolandi, who are kind of the uh, Ninja sort of being an honest John type, mm-hmm. uh, 
but but the film doesn't really condemn him doesn't really know what to do except it does know that he's a bad influence on him and then but then by pivoting and keeping him around it's like oh but maybe ninja will be redeemed redeemed and it's like are we talking about Chappie or not yeah or are we talking about right. ninja and yolandi ninja and yolandi now like what are we doing here yeah. as opposed to it's like pinocchio it's about him and jiminy cricket always moving forward, always making choices. And these other characters, again, it's simplicity. Uh, it's simplistic, but it's supposed to be because it's a fairy tale. Yeah. Um, so I feel like knowing where to add nuance makes a huge difference. And I feel like with, with uh, Chappie, I feel like they don't know what characters to add nuance to, and it winds up just being distracting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And so, and there is an episodic nature of, Pinocchio, where it's just one situation after another, mm -hmm. and each one is just so fascinating, and each one is such a, you're right, just such a neat little, a neat little story in and of itself, a neat little short story. Right. Um, but they all, it doesn't feel necessarily episodic to me. It just feels like a series of adventures, but yeah. they're all, but because they're all linked in that Pinocchio is being forced to make a choice, it just it's, it's just this seamless thing. Mm -hmm. And I just, I love it so much. And there are just ele individual elements. You know, I love honest John. I love, uh, Stromboli and just the, yeah. this, this world of like, Oh, these puppets, you know, that, mm -hmm. uh, just this horrible guy in that wonderful song. I got no strings, which was used to wonderful effect in age of Ultron. Um, <laughs> but then there's, there's also deeply disturbing moments like, um, over at Battleship Retention, many years ago, we did an episode called Creepy as Hell. And it was oh. just scene, scenes in movies that whether we were kids or adults, we watched them and like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Uh, and yeah. the, the transformation of Lampwick is so horrendous. Yes. There's a moment where it's just like, it's one thing, you know, one thing after another. It's just like, okay, there's something going on with his ears. Now he has a tail and that kind of thing. And just as it slowly dawns on him what is happening, and then you see this moment where it cuts to, uh, you see his shadow on the wall so that they don't have to animate him, you know, right. which would be probably too creepy. So you just see the shadow change, but what is really creepy is just what he is saying. He's, he's calling for his, mo his mama and yeah. then just, and over the course of that last scream of mama, you hear him become more, you just, you hear him become a donkey and now he's, he can't talk anymore. Yeah. Right. It's so terrifying. Oh yeah. It, it's, it's nightmarish. Even yeah. as an adult, as yeah. a child, I don't, I don't know, I don't know when I'll let my son see that movie. Actually, the funny thing about that is, as soon as I say that, I think he has already watched it, and he never asks to revisit. <laughs> yeah, it's not a like when I get to that that scene, I'm like, oh geez, this is when we see, when we see that boy turn into a, a an animal, like, and there's no going back. No, they're just stuck that way. They're not human anymore. Yeah. Isn't that terrifying? Well, and, and that's, just so deeply disturbing. Yeah, and the 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 villain in that portion which I don't believe is ever even given a name. I think he's called the coachman. The coachman. Yes, okay. But yeah, so, no no official name. Um and and he, you know, in that scene when he says they don't ever come back as boys takes on a distinctly devilish no question. sort of quality. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it, it, it almost is sort of, uh, and it's not the only one in the film, sort of a, a metaphor of kind of like a hell, like, sure. a, a, like this is, they're resigned to yeah. this place where might as well abandon all hope because yeah. this is, this is the end of it. You had your fun now pay for it. Is yeah, the thing that he that's says the line. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I think it's interesting because I did not connect when you first mentioned that this was going to be the companion film. I, of course, had not seen Chappie at the time you told me about that, but there are so many 
similarities in character tropes mm. between Pinocchio and Chappie, at least that I saw. Uh, like you mentioned, Honest John, and I'm thinking about that now in the context of Ninja, and I'm thinking, like, Ninja himself, I can't quite tell what his motivation is or that the 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 one or two motivations that I could point to are not consistent in his behavior. Yeah. Yet Honest John is always, I want this money. Yeah. Like this, you know, it's it's very distinct that he wants this money and whatever he has to do or whoever he has to, you know, sell out to, yeah. to get this money, that's going to be it. And there's that moment where they say, uh, where the coachman says they don't come back as boys, yeah. that we see Honest John and Gideon are genuinely terrified yeah. of that of that notion. Gideon, by the way, we were talking about voice actors earlier, Gideon voiced by Mel Blanc. Oh, sure. And the only thing that Gideon says is, well, says no words, he hiccups twice. And yeah. that is officially Mel Blanc, one of the most iconic voice actors, the voice actor for all these Looney Tunes. That's his only contribution to any Disney animated film, are two hiccups in Pinocchio. I think that is... And I don't know why that fascinates me so much, but I'm just like, it's, it's so amazing to me. But anyway, um, sorry for that listeners, but the, but, uh, honest John and Gideon are genuinely terrified by the coachman, which is what you were talking about earlier about knowing the right place to add some nuance. Sure. Because it adds a shade to their character that ultimately these guys are, are cowards. Yeah. They're ultimately cowards. They're greedy, ambitious cowards. And that's all they are which is a very clear definition for a character yeah. versus Ninja, who a- appears to me to be kind of all over the map with yeah. his motivations and with what affects him and what doesn't. Um, and then I'm also thinking, as I said, there were s- several others. You talked about having an anchor. Um, I think Jiminy Cricket is such a huge reason why Pinocchio works so well. Yeah. Because, um, you know, not just the idea of him becoming the conscience, he's the first and last we see mm-hmm. like this. I, I wouldn't necessarily call it his story, but he's the first and last character that we're introduced to and having him as an emotional through line. When Pinocchio sees success with Stromboli, you know, Jiminy Cricket kind of goes through this moment of like, maybe he doesn't need me anymore. Yeah. You know, what does an actor need with a conscience? What does an actor need with a conscience? <laughs> Wonderful. There's so many lines in there that are just, it, it, it's, it's wonderful to look at him and remember like, okay, this is 1940. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he, uh, you know, he goes through some, some distress there. And then, uh, you know, when he can't get Pinocchio out of the cage, uh, out of Stromboli's cage, he goes through some additional distress, uh, before Lampwick changes, I found myself really, uh, affected by Lampwick's criticism yeah. of of Jiminy Cricket and and Cricket trying to kind of like buck up and and defend himself and failing miserably at yeah. it. So all of that to say which I could go on and on about but all of that to say Jiminy Cricket is a very emotionally resonant character and he's the one even though there are bigger arcs in the film yeah he's the one that we begin and end with Chappie we don't even, I mean, we see the shell that will become Chappie, but we yeah. don't meet the character of Chappie until a half hour into the movie. And by then, the character we've spent the most time, excuse me, spent the most time with is Dion, who disappears yeah. largely after that that first, excuse me, half hour and only sporadically bursts in. Um, so I feel like the difference in focus is, even though there are similar character tropes, the difference in focus is significant between Chappie and Pinocchio, which I think... Uh, I apologize to keep rambling after I think it sounds like I'm wrapping up, but the 
I think that's why the theme that Chappie explores doesn't land and the theme that Pinocchio is exploring does. And I find myself wondering, maybe uh, the way you're describing it, maybe um, Neil Blomkamp was trying, rather than go with something like Pinocchio, which he's not said as as an influence or anything like that, but uh, perhaps he's trying to capture something a bit more Dickensian, a bit more Hmm. Oliver Twist or Nicholas Nickleby or something. Uh, Let's stick with Oliver Twist, which is just, well, Oliver Twist doesn't change, really. His circumstances do. Right. But the movie is all is more about people's response to him. Yeah. And so looking at it that way, it's like, okay, well, that actually that stencil works a little bit better because that would explain why we're spending time with Hugh Jackman's character, why we're spending time with uh, Ninja and Yolandi. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, and if but if you're gonna do that, then I feel like then you actually need to develop Chappie less. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, and maybe even have more characters there. So it's just like that's the thing. There's so much potential with the story of Chappie, but they just, again, they're just, they don't shoot. They it's, it's like, there's so many choices. Let's not go with any of them mm-hmm. or we go with all of them, which is basically the same. Um, but yeah. And so what I was talking about before we got into Pinocchio is that, you know, we talk about Chappie wanting to live forever because to him, that is, that is not, that's not necessarily what humanity is, but like that is, that's, you know, to live means to live forever, essentially. Um, right. He sees no point in death. Uh, well, with Pinocchio, it's a little bit different. He is, he's a little wooden boy, and he wants to be a real boy. That's his thing. Um, he wants to be a flesh and blood boy and, like, you know, hug Geppetto and just be a real person. And that is life. He wants to be basically given life. Now, he's already alive. Yeah. But to him, that's not real life real life is this thing mm-hmm. and so uh quoting the the blue fairy a couple of times here mm-hmm. uh now remember pinocchio be a good boy and always let your conscience be your guide fair enough and then there is prove yourself brave truthful and unselfish and someday you will be a real boy now there like you said there's kind of a works-based idea there um yeah. but what i think is interesting is you know you know be a good boy all right, well, that's very much about the actions that you take and that sort of thing. But then it's prove yourself brave, truthful, and unselfish. Like that's that's almost more about a paradigm a paradigm shift within a person as opposed mm. to a thing you're doing. It's it will it will bear fruit in a in a physical way, right? Um, but it's the the change is starting on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not necessarily saying that the the film is nece- is about that. Um, the nature of fairy tales, they tend to be fairly works-based just because it's more tangible. Right, um, right. But uh, but I do like the idea that for Pinocchio, the thing that makes him... First off, he after a while, it's just like, I'm done with... Okay, I don't mean to imply that Geppetto is God or anything <laughs> like that. But anytime you're dealing with a creator and mm-hmm. you're dealing with, with a creation that is perpetually getting things wrong, hmm. well, that's a pretty good... Bible uh, in a nutshell <laughs> um, and that Geppetto goes out goes searching for Pinocchio and he goes out there now he winds up getting himself in trouble which God doesn't really do right, but right. Um, but uh, but that eventually Pinocchio is like okay I'm gonna find my father that's where I'm going that's you know and I'm gonna go I'm gonna do whatever I have to do you know before it was kind of this life of pleasure it's a life of you know the life uh, what's an actor's life for me, that right, kind of thing. Right. Um, but I now, I, absolutely, I love that song. I know, it's um, great. But like, 
but now it's, I'm putting that to the side. Now it's, I'm going to find my father come hell or high water. Oh, he's in a giant, horrible whale. All right. That's what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. you know, and just trying to, you know, and just trying to come up with solutions and that sort of thing. And then ultimately whether directly, I don't think he makes the conscious choice of like, I'm going to die or anything like that. But he has to know that is a that is a, a risk. Anytime you take a risk, it's like, well, the worst could happen, and indeed it does. And there he is, and he's the little wooden boy is dead. Yeah. But then, uh, because he was willing to sacrifice himself, because he was thinking about things bigger than himself. Uh, in this case, the relationship with his father, the relationship yeah. with his creator. Only when he does that is he then allowed to be a real boy. Um, now, Chappie also sacrifices himself for his mother. Hmm. But I think one of the there there I think the film just has such a cop out ending where yeah. you know and, and that's where the sci-fi kicks in more than the theme, where uh consciousness becomes a thing that can be replicated and and, and put one place or another. It can be put yeah. onto a onto a little thumb drive and put uh into a robot. And so this happens with Dev Patel's character who, whose consciousness is put into a robot. It's like the first time it's ever happened now. And then he, you know, he springs into action. Now here's the thing. If it were me, if I were Dev Patel's character, and I recognize that this, this happens when the plot is moving forward and time is of the essence. So we don't really, he's not really allowed to have a moment of horrific realization, but were it me and I woke up and I looked down and I saw that I've got this robot body that I'm not a human being anymore, not a flesh and blood human. Um, I feel like the first thing I would do is just scream, just mm-hmm. uh, scream as loud as I can and be like, well, my life is over. Yeah. I mean, obviously my conscious, my consciousness is going on. And so my a, a life will continue and I can continue expressing, expressing myself and that kind of thing. But, uh, things are different now. Yeah. Uh, but it just proceeds as though it's the most natural thing in the world. Uh, and then, you know, spoilers, y- Yolandi gets, uh, basically dies, but then her, her consciousness gets, gets, uh, put into another robot. And then Chappie himself, his consciousness gets put into another robot. Yeah. Everybody lives, everybody's, everybody's happy. Fine. They all get what they want. And yes, there was a sacrifice on Chappie's part. So there is that, but there's just, and, and I guess, you know, nobody gets lost in Pinocchio either, but it could have happened very easily. Whereas just Chappie, it's like, we have our cake. We're going to eat it too. I guess America's dead, but who cares? <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. It just feels, it feels like a cop out. It feels like Neil Blomkamp didn't know where to go. And I feel like if, if Dion had died yeah. or uh, Yolandi had died, I feel like it, or Chappie had died and stayed, stayed, and stayed dead. I yeah. feel like just, thematically because because like well that's what life is i mean you know as much i'm not a huge fan of the movie city of angels or um more specifically um i cannot wings of wings of desire i haven't seen wings of desire i cannot stand city of angels why do you hate it so much i know you hate dennis franz that's a thing i know about you (laughs) um (laughs) i was not prepared for that i can't it's (laughs) listeners Every other day, I'm getting an email about Dennis Franz. Uh, like, yeah, I get Dennis it. Dennis, NYPD Blue. You, I know you prefer Law and Order. I'm sorry, <laughs> um, but no. Like, I think, I, and and I can actually bring it. I can actually bring that back around to Chappie because I think there is. I I think it is terribly presumptive of us to to glorify. We glorify the human experience. 
Yes. I think in general, uh, it's something that I think the, the, the sort of hardcore sci-fi does really, really well. And I'm talking a lot about literature here, but, uh, hardcore sci-fi, I think does a good job of demystifying the human experience. Uh, there is an, a, a massive amount of, of, uh, the work by Philip K. Dick or, um, you know, Arthur Clarke, there's, um, Isaac Asimov. There's a lot of sort of the, the, the linchpin sci-fi writers who do an excellent job of deconstructing like, like mm, this, this human experience thing that people have a tendency to idolize and glorify. It is probably not the, the pinnacle of all reality, but for some reason that doesn't always translate to films. And I have a feeling uh, like I just get the overall sensibility that when you, when you visit into, when you enter into Chappie, you mentioned something very interesting where you said like, if Chappie had died, I think I would be, a lot more on board for the ending that they chose, which is to transmit Dion's consciousness into a robot mm -hmm. and transmit Yolandi's consciousness into a robot if they no longer have Chappie. Yeah. Like, Chappie showed them how to do this, and now he's gone. Sure. Then then there's some emotional resonance to what's happening. Like, okay, well, that's that's the importance. But it's actually Chappie just just doing all of this. Yeah. And And so then it feels, like you mentioned... If I suddenly, if suddenly my consciousness were in like a robotic body, well, I wouldn't have nerves. I wouldn't have feelings. I don't know as a, as sitting right here right now. I don't know how to separate myself from that. I touch yeah. the table. I feel its weight on my on my hand. People who go through different diseases where they they lose the functionality of limbs or yeah. the feeling of limbs, uh, you know, it's like they can still uh, the, the, all of these. I've heard it that it's a pretty common thing for amputees to still yeah. feel the limb, like yeah, that phantom, phantom limb. experience. And um, so th there's no expression of that. There's no understanding of that, which I think is, is, is a really, I, I'm reluctant to use the word cheap, but it's the only one that's coming to mind. I think that's a very cheap sort of resolution to land at. Like, oh, we can just do this and we're fine. Yeah. With, with no further exploration of what that's going to be. And if that is what you're trying to explore and is where you're going to land, you should have gotten there a lot earlier and made no. that your movie versus the, the sci-fi actioner you were kind of going for. Just get there early on and have you know your first act break be, well, now we're going to transmit a human into here. And mm -hmm. let's explore that. And what does that all add up to? But just a missed opportunity, missed potential. Yeah, it's... Uh... It just it it feels like just a an not necessarily an afterthought, but it's it's almost as though either from a, at the writing level or maybe during filmmaking, it just felt like it was just slapped together at the end. It's like, well, we don't want anyone to, you know, and and maybe it's like maybe we're making a movie that champions science, and if we do it right, we never have to die and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Which sounds terrible to me. Um, yeah, but that's the, sorry. Eternal life does not sound terrible to me, as we'll discover in a moment. But um, life on this earth, come on. Well, that's the thing is is that's part of what bothers me about City of Angels is no. that the, the the idea that this experience here is the the, the pinnacle of experiences. Yeah. The idea that no, the, the the life as we have it now, yeah. Is the you know that's the thing to be glorified and to be uh, to be lifted up, and I'm like guys, uh, world in general, and anybody who would who would imagine that, like we are 
busted. Now, mm-hmm. I am absolutely willing to have the conversation about how we need, we can do better mm-hmm. and should be striving to do better, even though as a Christian with a certain theological mind frame, I believe we're never going to succeed on our own at right. getting better. I do feel that there's importance in the striving of it, but I think there also needs to be an understanding. I, I almost have an immediate shutdown. Some people could call it my theological perspective. Maybe it's a philosophical thing or, or just the way that I'm wired. I have an immediate shutdown when I get the impression from any story like life and present reality as it is, is the pinnacle and the ultimate. You just need to realize that that's what yeah. it is. And then we're going to uh, do whatever we can to preserve that capacity, whether that means evolving into new technology as they do with Chappie um, or as with City of Angels, like, no, I'm just going to be a human so I can have this, yeah. this spoilers for City of Angels, so I can, you know, have this, these few fleeting moments with this earth woman and then I'm going to dance in the waves of the ocean. I hate that movie so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and the film that it's uh, based on, Wings of Desire, I'm actually not a huge fan of that myself. I know a yeah. lot of people really love it. It's a Vim Vendors film. Okay. Um, and it has some really interesting stuff in it, but I, I don't, I really just don't love it that much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we're talking about, you know, this idea of moving from one thing to another. And if not trying to experience, you know, and the ethereal idea of eternal life, um, at least a more fuller idea of what life is, whether it be, you know, going from a little wooden boy to a real boy or going, you know, changing your conscience consciousness in such a way such as it will always exist. Um, you know, we're talking about I- eternity we're, and we're talking about becoming more fully ourselves, which is very much a... Uh, it's a very much Christian idea, and I don't think the makers of Pinocchio and I don't think the makers of Chappie are trying to do that. But I find myself thinking of, uh, as I t- often do, thinking of uh, C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. Apparently, in, I've only read one book in the world, and it was not the Bible. It was C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. But in it, uh, you have uh, these people traveling from hell to visit heaven. And once they are there, you they actually realize that they are... Tra- fairly transparent. You can still see them a little bit, but you can see through them. Whereas the world around them is so vibrant and solid that like it hurts their feet to walk on the grass because while it's just grass to them who barely exist, it's the most solid thing in the world. And Mm -hmm. it's like walking barefoot on pavement. Um, and, and that like, uh, there's a moment when they realize like, Oh, I could probably walk across this river because I don't even register to the water, you know, but then they start to wonder like, Oh my gosh, if it rains here, is, is the rain just going to like knife through me? Uh-huh. Like there, it's, it's a, it's an interesting idea, hmm. but that, you know, they have the choice of if they're going to stay in, in heaven. And if they do, then actually they become more real. Hmm. Uh, they, they're no longer transparent. They're no longer these ghosts. They're, they're actual reality. And they realize that the world that they've, they've been living in this hellish gray world is so far from what reality actually is. And so, you know, um, so if you want to put it in terms of like going from unreal to real or temporary to eternal or whatever you want to say, um, I find myself looking at this line, uh, this exchange in Chappie where Chappie is talking to Dion and he says, why did you build me to die maker? And Dion says, I didn't, I built you to live. Now I tend not to like lines like that, especially, um, you know, in movies, I read it like in 
I read in a script once and it's like, well, this is a total ripoff of a line from uh, last samurai. Hmm. Um, where it's like, tell me how he died. I can tell you how he lived, oh. you know, stuff like that. Hmm. Uh, so it's kind of a variation on that, but it's a little bit different. Um, you know, if, if this, if this world is all there is, then essentially we are made to die. We are made to run down the, mm-hmm. we're, you know, if a film is about its ending, which obviously it isn't, but that is the note that you are going out on. Mm-hmm. And so the filmmaker, f- filmmaker clearly wants you to be thinking about this. So, you know, as you, as you go home. Um, so if looking at it that way, if, if the story of our lives come to an end and we're just dead in the ground and our consciousness doesn't exist or anything like that, then she's like, Oh, all right. Well, I guess that's, that's a bummer. I mean, I guess we made some difference in this life, but we're still all, as Tom Waits would say, we're still all dirt in the ground. Um, and so, so that's if there, that's the, if there's no God or there's no eternity and it's, everything's just, uh, is just purely materialistic, but being Christians as we are, that is not what we believe. We believe that God did not make us to die, that God made us to live. Uh, and if somebody's going to die, then it's going to be him. He'll do it mm-hmm. so that we don't have to. Um, so, I have a number of verses here, uh, all of them fairly long. I apologize. So I'm going to just try and I'm just going to tear through these. Um, the first one, John three sixteen through 18. Y- you probably know the first part. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever do, uh, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So the idea of he did not come to condemn, he came to save. You know, we were not made to die, we were made to live. Uh, John 10 verses 28 through 30. The Jews were there. Uh, the Jews who were there were gathered. Wait. Ah, the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? I can't help but read it in that way. (laughs) How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. And then next is 1 John 2 verse 17. I think it might actually be a couple of verses and I forgot to write it down. But uh, uh, 1 John two seventeen. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Uh, and by the way, as I'm looking as I'm looking in that verse and just talking about loving the world, I'm just picturing pu- Pleasure Island. No, oh, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, what you know, you're you're gonna have your fun now. Pay for it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Second uh, Corinthians four verses sixteen through eighteen. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away; yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Uh, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what what is, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And lastly, Luke nine verse twenty four. 
Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Okay. So, I just read through a lot of stuff there. Very much an emphasis on eternal life and how to get it. Um, And it feels, you know, every time I I read through a bunch of verses, I feel like I shouldn't need to comment on them. And I, maybe I, maybe it's, maybe it uh, diffuses them a little bit uh, for me to comment on them. But, um, you know, so Chappie and Pinocchio to bring things back to this and then, and then sum up Chappie and Pinocchio are not happy with where they are. Um, now Chappie might be very happy with where he is, but it's where he's going to be and where he inevitably will be. So his state of being right now is I am dying Yeah, and I'm not happy with that. So I prefer to be continuing. And then Pinocchio is not happy with being a little wooden boy. Um, and so they want this thing, they want eternal life and they're trying to figure out how to get it. And, uh, and in both cases, it regardless of how well Chappie, the story pulls it off, they both recognize that there needs to be a certain selflessness, that there is, there's sort of this idea, like when people say, you know, live every day as the, as your last, and then mm. it's like, you're actually living there. There's an element there that if you really want to live, you have to acknowledge what death is and you have to sort of embrace it as an idea. Uh, and so in that same way, I would say that in order for us to live, there does need to be, a death. There does need to be an acknowledgement of death, an acknowledgement of ending. Um, except, and for a lo- you know, for a long time, it's it was our natural state of being is that it's our ending. That yeah. you know, our natural our natural life will take us to the grave, but then beyond that, our eternal life will take us to something much worse. Um, but that that does not actually have to be the end. Um, but it's not us that has to do that. We, we are not the ones that have to pay for that. Uh, it has already been paid for us Mm -hmm. and that is how we will get that eternal life. God did not make us to die. He made us to live. And what's more is, you know, let me, let me look at here. Uh, let's see, be a good boy and always let your conscience be your guide. Like that is a thing that we're supposed to do, but what happens when we don't? Well, don't worry. That's covered too. You know, um, and it's just uh, something that is perpetually fascinating. Uh, so many people that I've spoken to, and I myself fall into this as well. It's, e- it's very easy to do so. So much of us simply look at this, as you said, as like a works-based thing. Just like, be a good person. You know, uh, you have to earn your salvation. Always do what's right. And if you don't, uh, you got to make make sure you hate yourself a lot. Um, yeah. You know, that like really, really hurt yourself. You, there needs to be a price paid. Uh, by you. Otherwise, uh, you know, God says this grace thing is all well and good, but we've read the old Testament. We know that he's a, he's an angry person from time mm-hmm. to time. Uh, but that's not the case. Like it is, I'm sorry to use these terms. I don't, I'm sorry to equate Jesus to the blue fairy, but, uh, but you know, it's Pinocchio's in a cage and he is being dragged off to a hellish life. And then he's just granted an escape. Yeah you know, that he did not earn and that he does not deserve. It's just pure grace. And so, um, I want to make sure that is how it works. Right. I, I seem to recall he's in a wagon. 
Yeah. He's being taken off and then the like the blue fairy like opens the cage or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well because the uh when the blue fairy shows up, he's been trapped by Stromboli. Mm-hmm. Uh Jiminy Cricket can't get him out of the cage. He and Pinocchio have just resigned themselves to well now they're just gonna be stuck. They're gonna try to find a way to make this Stromboli thing work. Yeah. Uh and try to be happy. And then the blue fairy shows up. That's where he has the iconic he lies to her yes. about how he gets into the cage, and that's where the, the nose grows. Yeah. So she fixes that, opens the cage, and he gets to exit, and that's how he escapes from Stromboli. So it's interesting that the Blue Fairy does uh, kind of show up, and more than I, I, I hear what you're saying, um, that it's like we're, we're reluctant to compare it to Jesus, and, and I think that's, that's right to be reluctant. But uh, it very much is sort of a representation of grace. Yeah. Initially comes as kind of a grace for Geppetto, because... You know, she's there to grant Geppetto's wish. Sure. Like, for Pinocchio to be a real boy begins as Geppetto's wish and then becomes Pinocchio's once she sort of commissions him to, this is what you have to do to become a real boy. And then he adopts that onto himself. But it started as Geppetto's wish. And then each point along the way where Pinocchio kind of reaches a dead end, Mm -hmm. the Blue Fairy arrives to, to... sort of get him out of that situation. Um, But it's interesting that uh, Stephen King says something, and I think I might have quoted it on the show before, but uh, I resonate with this significantly in terms of this whole grace versus works conversation. He says, um, God has a peculiar habit of showing up at the bottom of the ninth. Mm -hmm. And I I really love that idea because, A, I found it to be rather true that... There's this funny thing about you will be going and just continue to dig yourself into situation after situation after situation. Like, man, this is, I, I don't have a way out of this. And it's, it's about many times at that point where it's like, man, I have no way out of this that something, and I believing what I believe would call that something God. And uh, oftentimes Christ will just burst in and say, okay, now grace says, try again. You can, you can, uh, try again tomorrow, try to make better decisions, try, you know, and, and, and again, sometimes there's some fallout. Sometimes you still have to, you know, it's not always just break open the cage and hop out of Stromboli's wagon. There's, there's definitely some, some, uh, consequences to live through, but in, in the spiritual sense of things and in the eternal sense of things, okay, try again. You, you, you haven't, uh, you haven't lost every opportunity. And if I might continue to make the comparison that I'm reluctant to do, um, imagine the Blue Fairy does not merely let Pinocchio out, but she gets in the cage and Mm. goes off Mm -hmm. to this life with Stromboli. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. how horrifying, like, if you're Pinocchio, you're like, why are you doing this? (laughs) This is not at all what I I signed up for. You didn't deserve this at all. You know, Um, like, imagine... You know, suddenly it's like, oh, I'm much more interested in the Blue Fairy now. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, it's less a deus ex machina. And now it's like the Blue Fairy is like a genuine full on character. Right, right. Um, and, and someone that I, that at that point, if like, if the Blue Fairy does that, so the Pinocchio does not have to live this hellish life with Stromboli. Um, I feel like at that point he's like, okay, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to do, I, I owe it to her yeah. to try to mm-hmm. live the best life I can. Uh, and in that sense, um, I don't mean to imply that everything is about like pure, perfect obedience because it's not possible. Right. But, you know, that's the thing is, you know, Jesus did not merely free us from our bondage, but he took what was the, what we earned. He became, he became the donkey. 
He yeah. got in the cage. He did all of this stuff that we deserve. We had our fun. Now he's paying for it, mm-hmm. you know, to quote Pinocchio. And so, uh, sorry to quote uh, the coachman. Um, and so, you know, and, and when I talk about that aspect of it, it's, it's, I, I feel like I'm saying something negative, but it's not negative because the nature of Jesus is he can't, he won't stay there. You know, Jesus becomes the donkey and then he becomes a, he becomes a man again, you know, mm-hmm. uh, he, he will not be defeated by these things the way we would be, you know, right. and it is in his victory that we share that, that we find our victory. And so we are transformed into a realer version of ourselves at the end of our lives or, and even in the process of living, uh, the way we do now. Um, and so, you know, it's, I never quite know how to wrap up these types of conversations uh, aside yeah. from just, uh, Hey, uh, become a Christian, you know, <laughs> it's, it seems a little, a little easy. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I guess, it, you know, if you, if you are, if you are a Christian, I'm probably telling you things that you already know, but it never hurts to be reminded that like, you know, God made us to live in, in every sense of the word. And that's to like live to, to, you know, let the Holy spirit be our guide instead of necessarily our conscience. They Mm -hmm. often go together, but, uh, but to like live for him right now, because his is really the only life that, that, that we will find that matters that will go on when we end and we will be a part of that. Yeah. And so hopefully that's a nice reminder. And then if, uh, if you are a non-Christian listening to this, I'm as always, I'm surprised you've listened this far. (laughs) Uh, but you know, uh, think about the things that, uh, that we talked about. You're welcome to email me, Tyler at more than one lesson.com. And, uh, and if you have any uh, thoughts or questions for Reed, I'm happy to forward them on to him as well. Um, I have not yet made a more than one lesson, uh, email address for him even after uh, well over a year. <laughs> and so I apologize about that. Um, but yeah, so I think we will go ahead and, and leave it there. We talked about some very big topics, and I feel like we might have done so in a way that is not, uh, you know, hey, not fully focused, you know, but hey, I'm not making a movie here. We're talking about Chappie after all. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, Chappie's rubbing off on us. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, so thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope this, I genuinely do hope that this was uh, encouraging in some way. Um, yeah, don't watch Chappie. It's not very good. Seek out Pinocchio. Go watch though. Pinocchio. Absolutely. If and if you haven't, if you if you th- think like, oh, I saw that when I was a kid, rewatch it. Pinocchio is a movie that can be re- rewatched many, many times. It's more than seventy five years old, and it is still, uh, uh, still arguably the greatest animated film ever made. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. Now it's very late, right yeah. now. But let me ask you this. What do you think is the best animated film ever made? Oh my gosh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Well, if I were being objective, uh, I would say, I, I would definitely make a pitch for Pinocchio. Uh, but another one that I think uh, is underrated in that conversation, I think Beauty and the Beast is an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. And I think 75 years, when when Beauty and the Beast is 75 years old, there might be some conversations. I don't know, but I I think Beauty and the Beast is nearly flawless in terms of, I think if, you know, Pinocchio is a very male-centric animated feature, Mm -hmm. Beauty and the Beast has more of a female-centric sort of storyline. And I think seen as a pair, I think Pinocchio and more so than Snow White, I would give Beauty and the Beast the, Snow White gets a lot of credit because it was first and deservedly so. It's still a masterpiece. 
but I think Pinocchio and Beauty and the Beast are the are the ones that duke it out in my mind. I have if I were talking about my personal favorites, there'd be different answers. But sure. if I'm talking about best animated film, I would talk about Pinocchio and I would talk about Beauty and the Beast. All right. My answer obviously rescuers down under. All right. Okay. So uh <laughs> Because <laughs> I like crocodiles. Anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, you can go to morethanonelesson.com and you can, uh, you're can. you welcome to comment on this or other episodes. Uh, feel, uh, please do read uh, Josh's review of The Lobster and Reed's review of Flipped. Uh, you can like us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter, at More Lessons. Reed, are you on Twitter? I am, at Reed Lackey. At Reed Lackey, makes sense. All right, thank you everybody for listening. Reed, thanks for being here. Thank you. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.